All right, we're, we're now in our uh, systematic theology. We're going through Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. And um, our topic today is death and the intermediate state. Before we start, we're going to bow down for a word of prayer. Father God, we just uh, thank you, Lord, that, uh, for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us an opportunity to gather as your people before your word and to speak about your son. We thank you, Lord, for your son who has conquered our greatest enemy, death, and in his hands are the keys of death and Hades. We thank you, Lord, that we worship you who is the giver of life. Thank you, Lord, for um, giving us life and uh, help us, Lord, to um, honor you with our life. We pray, Lord, that you empower me to communicate effectively. We pray, Lord, that your saints will be edified and encouraged. In Jesus' name I pray. The Puritans called death one of the last four things. The last four things are death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Now, our Puritan forefathers and our um, the reformers all thought deeply about the topic of death. They, they wrote about death. They spoke about death. But today, we seldom think about death. We, why? Unlike our Puritan and um, Reformed forefathers, we have many distractions they didn't have. So they contemplated the weightier, heavier things of life. Today, we have the distraction of, we have an iPhone, we have social media, we have TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, YouTube, we have television, we have uh, sports galore. Anything you want to watch, you can just turn the channel. You can be entertained. We have video games. But our Puritan forefathers, they thought about salvation. They thought about death. They meditated on God's word. But today, we do all we can to rid us our thoughts of things that might sadden us, like death. We live in a society that entertains themselves to the point of death. So... Not only distractions stop us from thinking about death, but we, we live in a time, it's a blessed time of, we have decreased mortality. The life expectancy has increased. We don't have as high of an infant mortality. We do in times past because of the, thank, thank God for the medical advances and the technology we have today. In the 18th century, the Scottish Puritan Thomas Boston had six children, and not, not one of them survived to the age of two. The, uh, I know all of us are probably aware of John Owen. He wrote volumes of volumes of books on great Christian truth. He has volumes on the book of Hebrews. One of the greatest theologians in church history is John Owen. He had 11 children, but only one of them survived to adulthood. So... so we don't, and not only is there a decrease because of the advance in medical technology, not only is there distractions that cause us not to think about death, but we live in a time, unlike times past, we don't have a direct encounter with death like people in times past used to have. In times past, people used to just die in their home, and you would experience your loved ones, your family members, your relatives die in their homes. But with the advent of so many hospitals and so many hospices and nursing homes, 
our loved ones die elsewhere, we don't directly encounter death like we used to. And some careers, like I do nursing, and in the years I've done nursing, I probably, probably 20 of my patients directly died in the years I did nursing. So those 20 bodies I had to bring to the morgue. And each and every time when you encounter death, it's a, it's a sobering experience. And it makes you think deeply about every time. It makes me think about life. It makes me think about eternity. And that's what Solomon told us. Ecclesiastes 7.2, Solomon said, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. There are some lessons that you learn in the house of mourning that you don't learn in the house of feasting. Some of the most important lessons you ever learn in life is in the house of mourning. There you contemplate, are you ready to die? Are you ready to make the God who created you? Are you prepared for eternity? These lessons are learned in the crucible of death. And death is one of those topics we all try to push away from our thoughts, but it's a reality that we would all one day or another face. And with the exception of few, like Enoch, Elijah, we would all face death. And death is no respect of persons. Whether you eat organic food or you don't, whether you are rich or poor, whether you're healthy or strong, whether you, you would all face death. You cannot escape that reality. And the first point we want to look at today is the cause of death. The, the cause of death. In the secular worldview, death is part of the natural order. But in the biblical worldview, death is not, we don't believe death is just part of the natural order. We believe that death is part of the fallen order. Death is not what God meant in the beginning. In, in the Genesis 2 world, there was no death. There was no suffering. There was no sickness. And Adam and Eve was in perfect harmony with one another, and their relationship with God was one of perfect harmony. So what happened? In, in Romans 5, 12 to 14, Paul tells us what's the cause of death. Paul says in Romans 5, 12 to 14, Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all mankind because all sin. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not accounted against anyone when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the violation committed by Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. So the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. If there was no sin in the world that we would have never experienced and never even known what death is. But in Genesis, we see that God promised that if you disobey me, there will be consequences. In Genesis 2, 16 and 17, the Bible says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat from it you will surely die. So here, God makes a promise to Adam and Eve that in the day you eat of this fruit you will surely die. So I want to ask you a question. We see in Genesis 5.5, 5, Adam 
lived to 930 years. So was God's promise fulfilled? He said, in the day that you eat this fruit, you shall surely die. But how come he lives to 930? Pastor Paul? Hmm. Excellent answer, Pastor Paul. He's right on the money. Um, he di- he, Pastor Paul said he died spiritually. So we see that in the secular worldview, when they think of the concept of death, they think of death in a one-dimensional concept. Only physical, only biological. But in the biblical worldview, death has, is, is, there's different types of death in the biblical worldview. So that's what the next point that brings us to. The types of death. So we looked at the cause of death, which is sin. And now we're going to look at the types of death. Um, the first uh, point we want to look at is biological death. Now, biological death, um, it, it, like I was saying, in the secular neo-Darwinian worldview, this is the only death they know of because in their worldview, they don't believe in a soul. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe every worldview believes in biological death. Every religion believes in biological death except for one. And that's, no, Hindus believe in biological death. The only one that doesn't believe in biological death, does anybody know? No, it's um, one more guess. Pantheism, no. The, the one that don't believe in death is a, is a religion, a cult called Christian science. It, the, its founder was a Mary Baker Eddy. Yes. Me, me and uh, Ben Coons visited the Christian Science Center here in White Plains, and I was talking to the lady right in the uh, front desk of the reading center in the Christian Science and I, that's one of the points I brought up to her. Mary, I'm going to quote Mary Baker Eddy. Mary, Mary Baker Eddy quote says, Life is real, but death is an illusion. So I brought this up to the lady that's sitting in the front desk. I said, um, how can you? I told her I work as a nurse and I see so many dead bodies. And once the patient dies, one of the first things we do is put an EKG on the patient. And the rhythm is asystole, flatline. So I was like, I was explain to me how death is an illusion when this is not a, death is not a theory. This falls under the category of observational science. I told them when someone dies, you can see the heart rhythm, the heart stops, the blood stops flowing. We have electrodes that can see the the brain activity ceases, and in in a matter of two three hours, the body goes into rigor mortis, decay begins to set in. So how is it that you believe death is illusion? And all the response, she just started laughing. <laughs> See, to, de- to deny biological death is the height of absurdity, is, the, is delusion. Because death falls under the category of observational science. There's no debating there. It, it, death is a fact. 
And um, so that's the, uh, I would say, the secular, you know, way they decide whether you die. They looked at your rhythm. They look at your biological brain activity. But the biblical definition of death, Solomon gives us in, in Solomon gives the biblical definition of death in Ecclesiastes 12.7. Solomon says, The dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. So we see the uh, biblical definition of death is when the soul has an unnatural separation from the body. Pastor Paul, you want to say something? Right, right, right. And that, that would be the biblical definition when the soul is uh, temporarily, unnaturally separated from the body. That would be a biblical definition of um, death. So before we go on to the next point, any questions here? Yes. Yeah, there's many people have uh, different experiences. Some people, like you said, gives those experiences. But at the end of the day, um, I wouldn't go by someone's experience to learn what heaven is or what hell is. We have God's revealed word, right? We don't need to rely on extra biblical revelation. We got everything God wants us to know about heaven is right here. Everything God wants us to know about hell is right here. That's one way we guard ourselves from being deceived and you know into is when we stick to the word. Eric Oh I I was call, I'm calling it unnatural because it's part of the fallen order. God never meant for that to happen. Good question. Yeah. Pastor Bob. Wait, that 
Yeah, that, that passage is interesting because it, it says that Stephen saw the Lord standing. The, the Bible says he's sitting, his work is done, but when he welcomes a saint home, he stands up. So this brings us to the uh, next death, which is spiritual death. So Pastor Paul was correct in that, um, in the, uh, that when God promised, in the day you eat this fruit, you will surely die, that word was fulfilled in that Adam and Eve instantly died spiritually. And at that moment, they was progressively dying in their physical bodies. And uh, this brings us to spiritual death. In, in spiritual death, you know, man was once in perfect communion with God. Now that there's a hindrance in that relationship, there's a separation. And I want to distinguish biological death from spiritual death. In biological death, the body is inactive. It doesn't respond to tactile, verbal stimuli. But in spiritual death, the soul is very active. The soul is active in disobedience to God. The soul is active in suppressing the truth of God and unrighteousness. The, the soul is active in running away from God hiding from God, and running headlong into sin. The Bible says, the wicked flee when no one pursues. So, in, in, in spiritual death, the uh, soul is very active. And, um, Amory, you brought up the passage in Ephesians 2. See, the, when the Bible speaks of death, it, it speaks of different types of death. And in Ephesians 2, it's a reference not to biological death, but to spiritual death. And it says that, and, and this is the state of man because of Adam's sin. That uh, because Adam's sin and federal headship, now sin has, death reigns to all men. And we're um, born in that state. Every child that's born, every baby that's born is in the spiritual dead state. And, um, and sin has affected from birth all our faculties, from our hearts, from our wills. To our thinking. And um, this brings us to the uh, third, um, third um, type of death. But before I get there, any uh, questions? Yeah. Anthony. You said that the soul is active in mm-hmm. a negative sense. But at the same time, it seems like um, it, it has no stimuli to, to the things of God. So it is active going the other way. Yes. Because it cannot respond. Amen. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's a good point. Is active not in seeking God, but running away from God. So this brings us to the third death, which is um, eternal death, and uh, these are interrelated in that um, if you're spiritually dead and then you biologically die. Then you will face eternal death. And uh, the third death, this is the um, ultimate dimension of death, the eternal death. And um, we see in Revelation 12:14 speaks of eternal death. If Revelation 12:14, John says, "Then death and Hades was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire." 
And just, uh, you know, knowing about eternal death should cause our hearts to swell with compassion and love for the lost. Because this is where everyone is heading without Christ. A place of torment, a place of anguish, a place where the worm never dies and the fire is not quenched. The Bible said the smoke of the torment is forever and ever. Charles Spurgeon explained the state of man in, in eternal death. He said, this is the state of man in eternal death. Lost to God, lost to heaven, lost to time, lost to preaching of the gospel, lost to invitation of mercy, lost to the prayers of the gracious, lost to the mercy seat, lost to the blood of sprinkling, lost to all hope of every sort, lost, lost forever. So when we learn about this dimension of death, it should give us an urgency to preaching the gospel. See, because in eternal death, at this point, at this point, there's still hope. Even before this time, there's still hope. There's no hope. There's no relief from misery. There's no relief from suffering. So, any questions? Amen. Jason? Amen. Pastor Bob? Eric? Uh, that brings us to the next point, the triumph of death. That Christ and the application of his saving work is the antidote to death. And um, what's the answer for uh, eternal death? 
Eternal life. What um, specific work of Christ takes care of eternal death? I was looking for this answer. Justification. The reason why we as believers uh, don't experience eternal death is because of the doctrine of justification. The, the Bible says in Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our only ground of going into heaven is Jesus Christ and His righteousness. His shed blood for us on the cross. And we see a perfect picture of that in the thief on the cross. He had no merit of his own. He, his uh, history was not one that would merit him heaven. Um, he, did, he, didn't, he didn't do any ministry. Uh, he had no good works for him. But Jesus told him, today you'll be with me in paradise. The uh, work of justification, Jesus in his passive obedience dies on that cross. He pours out his blood for sinners and his active obedience obeys all the laws of God. So in that, uh, this wonderful doctrine of imputation, that uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He became sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So our sin is imputed to Christ and Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. So, because of that, death has no reason to, uh, we have no reason for eternal death to be in the embers of hell for eternity. So, uh, so my question to you is, uh, if Jesus pays for all our sins, why do Christians die? Uh-huh. Amen. Amen. That's one of the means we uh, enter glory. So, like you were saying, death is no longer a penalty of punishment for a Christian because. Wayne Gooden says it's not that in the flesh. But I am disagreeing. I'm saying it is that in the flesh. Yeah. Oh, you're disagreeing with Grudem. I am disagreeing. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So, 
what happened is that in uh, the uh, on the cross, what when Jesus drinks every drop of wrath for God's people, so that not even one finute minutia drop touches a believer. So that's why Paul can say, therefore, there is no condemnation. The, another word for condemnation is punishment for a believer. So now when he, so he, you know, now he no longer deals with us in the disposition of punishment or penalty, but in love. He brings a saint home through the means of death. Pastor Bob? Yeah, yeah. So that that brings me uh, transition to the. Uh, you want to say something, Tanya? Sure, sure. Amen. And God, and like you're saying, God in his infinite wisdom decided not to take away biological death in this age, but in the age to come. And that that brings me to the uh, simple twofold eschatology of the Bible. This age and the age to come. The already and not yeah, this is the eschatology of Jesus, the apostles, even the Jews of Jesus' day. And um, Amen, amen. The um, this age and the age to come. So God has an infinite wisdom decided to take away biological death in the age to come. And uh, one of the errors that the uh, word of faith movement does is they take things that's going to happen in the age to come and they try to bring it to this age. And one of them is sickness. There's going to be no sickness, perfect health in the age to come. And they try to take that and bring it to this age. So they have an over-realized eschatology. Um, and uh, Marcia? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Amen. Right. Means. David. Mm-hmm. Austin. Last one, Eric. So it brings us to the uh, next death. Uh, what is the antidote here for spiritual death? We see the antidote for eternal death, justification, spiritual death. Yes. Yes. Regeneration. Um, regeneration. We are uh, spiritually death. Um, <coughs> Once you understand the doctrine of total depravity, from there, I don't know how you cannot be reformed. Because when you understand, when you understand total depravity, you understand that the only way you can be saved, the only way is salvation has to be of the Lord. 
Regeneration is the monergistic work of the Spirit of God that He comes to a person that is completely dead in sin. His, his, uh, his will doesn't seek after God. His mind cannot comprehend the things of God. His, uh, his heart is hardened by sin, hard like a rock, that it takes the sledgehammer of God's word to break it. And, and what we see in the monergistic work of God, God takes his heart of stone and gives him a heart of flesh. He takes the, the, the veil over his eyes, take the blinders off so that he see the glory of Jesus Christ. And that's the spiritual death. That's, that's why um, I love my uh, Presbyterian brothers, but um, I don't see how you can be, with the doctrine of spiritual death, how you can be, just because you're born to Christian parents, how can you can be a Christian? Because the doctrine of original sin and spiritual um, death teaches that we're all born in the state, spiritual death. That's why we must be born again. That, 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 that text, you must be born again, was in the forefront of Whitfield's ministry. Why he preaching all across the U.S.? He says, you must be born again. You must be born again. In um, England, everywhere, that's, what, that's the forefront of his ministry. And that must be the forefront message of our ministry as well. When sinners are dead in their trespasses and sin, the answer is you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. So that um, brings us to the uh, next one, which is um, biological death. What is the answer for biological death? Yes, yes, good job, Jason. Glorification. And uh, I think, uh, yeah, just like Sister Marcia was quoting some verses about the body, our bodies are still... Un, uh, redeemed in that sense where you know we still experience sickness and suffering and um, some of us have disabilities and chronic illness and one day all that's gonna go away there'll be no more sickness no more tears and biological death and the um, the, the moment we die our, our soul is perfected in holiness but we are in the intermediate state in which it's a bodiless existence. But um, in the resurrection, God would take our bodies and transform it and give us a glorious body like unto Jesus' glorious body that won't get sick. So that brings us to the um, next point, the intermediate state. Um, Any questions before we move to the intermediate state? Yes. Amen. Yeah, when you understand the different types of death, it becomes clear. This is all, salvation has to be of the Lord. We can't save ourselves. So this brings us to intermediate state. Intermediate state is that period of when we die and the resurrection. And uh, I want to introduce you to some 
Hebrew and Greek words that help us understand the intermediate state better. So the word shamayim is um, just like there's three, when the Bible speaks of death, it's not one dimensional. It speaks of biological death, spiritual death, eternal death. In the same way, when the Bible speaks of heaven, it speaks of three heavens. There's the, uh, there's the sky, there's the space, and then there's the throne room of God. And we see this in scriptures. In Psalm 19.1, the psalmist says, The heavens declare the glory of God. So we see this, speaking of the sky and space. And um, the third, Paul says he was caught up to the third heaven. So we see a distinguishing there. And, um, and now, Sheol is the, uh, this is the Hebrew, Shamayim is the Hebrew name for heaven. And Sheol is the uh, Hebrew word for hell. And uh, the Bible speaks of hell in, in two ways. There's the grave, and then there's the place of fire and eternal punishment. So grave, and uh, um, eternal punishment. So the... Um, when the Bible speaks of heaven, it speaks of up there. And when the Bible speaks of earth, it speaks of it being, I mean, it speaks of hell, it speaks of being down. So, and so the, when the Bible uses a shield, depending on the context, it can either mean grave or eternal punishment. And in the grave, we, uh, believers and unbelievers all biologically die and go to the grave. So all go there. But in terms of shield, in terms of uh, eternal punishment, that's only for the wicked. And the uh, New Testament equivalent in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation, I'll remember that during your life you received your good things and likewise Lazarus' bad things, but now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, has been set, so that those who want to go over from here to you will not be able, nor will any people cross over from there to us. So we learn from here in, in terms of the intermediate state. When you die, you either go one of two places, either to Abraham's bosom, which another name for that is paradise or heaven, or you go to Hades, which another name for that is hell. So you have one of two destinations, heaven or hell. And here in this uh, passage, um, some hyper-literalists take the uh, part where it says that... Um, the rich man tells Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue. To mean that we'll have bodies in the intermediate state. But I believe it, 
um, is a figurative use there to explain the torments of hell. It's not actually saying that we're going to have bodies in heaven. Pastor Bob? Michelle? Yeah, they, they got that from the Apocrypha, from the book of Maccabees. Yeah, there, there's a description of a place where your, um, your sin, you go to where your sins are purged. Well, they say that's what happens in the intermediate state. You go to purgatory. Yeah. And, um, and if we use the Reformation principle of Scripture, interpret Scripture, we'll go to 2 Corinthians 5 It says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So Paul says that an intermediate state will be absent from the body. Like, like we said, that's not the uh, permanent state, but like Bob was saying, that's the temporary state. Because um, the, we're, heaven's going to give way to the new heavens and the new earth. And like Bob was saying, Hell will be cast into the lake of fire, like Revelation says. So in, in this passage in Luke 16, we learn that uh, three important truths of the uh, intermediate state. That in the intermediate state, you'll be conscious. You won't uh, be unconscious. Because here, the rich man is having a conversation and he's aware of everything that's happening. So he's fully conscious. And uh, in the intermediate state, you will also be in uh, if you go to hell, you'll be in torment. And in torment, you can feel the agony and the anguish. If you're unconscious, you won't be able to feel nothing. And uh, the third truth that we learn is um, in verse 26. And it says, And besides all this between us and you, a great chasm has been set, so that those who want to go over from here to you will not be able, nor will any people cross over from here to us. Another truth of the of the um, intermediate state is that it is inescapable. Hell has no exits. You can't go from hell to heaven or from heaven to hell. And he, I think this verse alone refutes purgatory because they say you can be in purgatory and go to heaven. This is a, a, a fixed place. Um, Cindy, you wanted to say something?
Yeah, so when our uh, physical bodies die, our, the, Paul said for Christians, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we're instantly going to heaven. Right, because um, we're still awaiting the re- future resurrection of the body. Where the, the Bible says in First Thessalonians four sixteen and 17, For the Lord himself should descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ shall rise. And we who are alive shall be caught up with the Lord, and there so shall we ever be with the Lord. So in the second coming and the resurrection is when God um, transforms those who are alive and dead and gives them the uh, new resurrection body. So we're waiting the future resurrection. So is that, is that period between when you die and the resurrection, uh, the future resurrection? Good good question. Any more, um, Dan? Yes, instantly. Remember, one of the most scariest passages in, in, in Scripture is that uh, it says, rich man, he lifted up his eyes in hell. Instantly, right? The rich man died, he, and it says he lifted up, that, that's frightening when you read that. He, and he, he was deceived. He was thinking he's on his way to paradise. But it says he lifted up his eyes in hell. And Jesus says, many on that day would say, Lord, Lord. I did this and I did that, but he said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. So some people on that day will be deceived and lift up their eyes in hell, just like the rich man. Resurrected bodies, I believe, are possibly for 
<laughs> I'm optimistic that I'll be risen in my prime. <laughs> Yes, brother. God is outside of time, but he also works in time. Like Galatians 4, 4, but when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born under the law. So he's outside of time. I think the past, present, future is now to God, but he also works in time. Pass the bomb. Itself is the fourth and fifth dimension. It's in time. Then what is time? You know what I mean? 
What was the question that you no, had? I would see, I would see Sheol as um, hell, a place of eternal punishment. Um, and then that hell, the Bible says in uh, Revelations, is that death and Hades, Hades is hell, will be cast into the lake of fire. Right. The, the great white throne judgment hasn't happened there, where the great and small will stand before him, and they'll be. Right. 
Yeah. And uh, I'm going to move on to the next point. The, um, so we're going to look at different, we looked at the uh, right view of the intermediate state. Now we're going to look at different false views of the intermediate state. One is materialism and naturalism. This is probably the predominant view of a New Yorker. It's um, simply, they don't believe in souls. They have a naturalistic Darwinian worldview. So they believe you, when you die, that's it. You simply cease to exist. And um, this view, I think, is simply refuted by Jesus. Because when Jesus was alive, he, he talked about a soul. He said, what is the gain? The whole world, lose your soul. He talked about heaven. He talked about hell. The Jews of his day said, give me one sign, one proof of everything you're saying is true. He said, my resurrection. Jesus died. He rose again, which proves that everything he talked about, every theology topic, everything he said is true. So I'd rather take the words of Jesus over Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, Samuel Harris. Um, the next point that we want to look at is uh, universalism. Universalism, um, it's, uh, there's two different types of universalism. There's some that believe that every road, every religion will bring you to heaven. And there's some universalists teach that uh, everyone's going to heaven, but Christ's redemptive work will be applied to every single person. And uh, this is, if you're driving down the street and you see a church with a rainbow flag, most likely this is what they believe, universalism. Um, any verses you could think of on the top of your head to refute this? Right, Jesus in the... Excellent. Right. Right, right. So, yeah, it's simply easy to refute with Scripture. Um, the third one we want to talk about is soul sleep. This is what the um, Jehovah Witnesses and the uh, Seventh-day Adventists believe. They believe that um, your, once you die, your soul is asleep. Um, so we saw in the passage of the uh, Luke 16 that simply when you die, you, you're conscious. You're not unconscious, as if you were slow sleep. You're, um, you're in torment. So the passage in Luke refutes it. And also, um, w- this is something, actually John Calvin, his first book that he wrote was not the Institute of Christian Religion. It was a book refuting soul sleep. And um, because there was a time, a g- little group called Anabaptists, they, believed, they didn't distinguish between soul and spirit. They, uh, so because the Bible uses that language, where the, when you're dead, you're sleeping. And it's reference to the physical body. But they included the soul with that. They assumed that the soul is also sleeping. But John Calvin, being an astute, precise theologian, made that distinguishing between the soul and the physical body. And said the body is a pictorial description of sleeping. But the soul is, you know, it's alive. It goes to God or goes to hell. And John Calvin taught that, you know, the, the soul is not eternal, but at the point of creation that God uh, allows the soul to possess immortality. So that that should have practical implications for parenting because every child is that much more valuable and precious that we're not just, as parents, um, raising the next generation. But no, we are molding souls that will live forever, either in heaven or hell. So we should take our parenting responsibility that much more serious and nurturing our child in the fear and admonition of the Lord and protecting them from harmful, evil influences. 
And uh, the fourth one we want to look at is uh, annihilationism. Um, annihilationism simply says that when you die, when the wicked die, they'll be terminated from existence. And, um, and that is simply refuted by uh, Matthew 25, 46. Jesus didn't speak of a termination. He said, and these will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And uh, the last one we want to look at is uh, reincarnation and purgatory. Uh, these, I put these two together because they're basically the same in that they both say you have a second chance after death. Reincarnation says that you'll come back based on your karma as an insect, a chicken, a fish, or into a human body. And uh, purgatory says that you'll go to a place and, uh, you know, if you committed a venial sin, you'll purge your sin and then go to heaven. The Bible says, for it is appointed for man once to die, then comes judgment. There's no second chances. So in closing, 2 Timothy tells us the benefits of the gospel. The Bible, 2 Timothy 1.10 says that Christ has abolished death and brought life and immortality through the gospel. We, out of all people of this earth, as Christians, we have the antidote to death which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, they might biologically die, but we have the antidote to death. And how can we keep this treasure to ourselves? We must go into the highways and byways and share the gospel to those who are perishing. So before we close, any uh, comments, closing comments? Jason? Oh, that's a good question. So um, the Jews of the... So good question, Abraham's bosom. There was a, a two-compartment theory that uh, some Jews of some Jews and uh, some early church fathers held to that uh, taught that um, there's a compartment that separates between uh, Hades and uh, another for the righteous because they took the text that, that says the righteous and the unrighteous go into Sheol. And they took that test to teach that there's a compartment of... Righteous and the unrighteous. But um, like I was trying to show you that uh, Sheol, there's the grave and eternal punishment and uh, a place of heaven. So um, I don't agree with the compartment uh, theory for that reason. Any other uh, closing thoughts or comments before I close? Okay, I'm going to close with the word of prayer. Father God, we just uh, thank you, Lord, for this day that we can gather before your word. We thank you, Lord, for giving us to um, contemplate, a moment to contemplate the deeper uh, topics of life, the heavy topics of life, such as uh, death and the afterlife. We thank you, Lord, that um, knowing that we should have perished in in the embers of, uh, in the depths and the embers of hell for eternity, but we thank you, Lord, for the gift of immortal life that you have granted us through your son. We thank you, Lord, for the work of redemption accomplished to our life and applied. We thank you, Lord, help us to love the lost and those who are perishing and give us the grace to share the gospel with them. In Jesus' name I pray.